You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. If you got your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 1. Today is part 4 in our series, Start Here. So we're going we're gonna to land the plane today. I hope it's been helpful. Resolution Reset uh, that was just mentioned is this Thursday night. Uh, talking a lot about health, Dr. Jake Parrish, one of our elders, is going to lead that. So I know it's going to be a very beneficial uh, opportunity for you guys. You know, there are three groups of people here in the room today. There's the first group, which is the person that has not set any goals for 2019, and they're just going to kind of aimlessly go through 19, just like they did 18. There's another group of people in the room who you set some goals for 2019, and and so far we're at day 27 in January, and and you're doing pretty good. And so congratulations, you're you're doing fantastic, and you're sticking with the diet, you're exercising, you're reading the the Word of God, your prayer life is is going well, and that's fantastic. And and then there's a third group of people in the room, and uh, the third group of people are those of us who set some goals uh, at the beginning of the year, and today we're struggling to keep them. And so what do you do when you begin to struggle and when you don't actually fulfill and start doing the things that you actually said you wanted to do and know you want to do? And what we've been saying in this series is that if you want to grow, if you want to fulfill the plan that God has for your life in 2019, if you want to experience his blessing and favor, then you've got to get started. You've got to start right here right now and take the necessary steps in order to grow in your faith and receive the blessing that God wants to give to you this year. And so as we've been going through this series, we started a 21-day fast, and so many of you are following along with the reading plan. I, I hope you continue to do that. This is the last week, and so seven more days, Saturday it will end. Some of you gave up something uh, for this entire 21 days, and so God has been blessing, and God will bless you as you continue to pursue that. Uh, we're identifying one word, one area of focus in this series that we believe God has laid on our heart to really really press into. We're not going to do a a million different goals. We're going to focus on the one thing, the one area of our life that we really feel like God is calling us to press into. And and so uh, today will be your last day to be able to go to the Start Here booth in the atrium and take a photo with the poster. I I hope that you'll do that. That's going to be a huge encouragement for our church. Use the hashtag FC Start Here. Now, college students, high school, middle school students, maybe your parent is social media uh, tech kind of impaired, and they're going to need some help, and so you might help them with that, but uh, I hope we'll do that. Uh, you can, if you follow us on Instagram, you've already seen some of those uh, posted, and uh, we're, we're hoping that's going to be a huge incre- encouragement to our entire uh, church together. Uh, just to recap, if you're new, week one, we said think about it. So we evaluated our life, and we looked ahead at where we want to go. Week two, we said we got to own it. We got to own our past mistakes. We got to own our future, move forward. Last week, we said we've got to plan it. Uh, We've got to plan. And so we we realized, and and I spent a lot of time unpacking the idea that small habits equal big results. And so what area of your life do you need to to plan to be self-disciplined in in order to reach that goal? And today, we're going to close with handle it. We got to handle it. So inevitably this year, you're going to have to handle the setbacks. You're going to have to handle the issues that come your way, things that you didn't plan for, 
problems, sickness, health issues, all these kinds of things are going to rear its ugly head and you're going to have to deal with it. You've got to handle it. Let's face it, it's much easier to start something than it is to finish it. It's much easier to go into debt than it is to get out of debt. It's easier to fill your schedule than it is to fulfill your schedule. It's easier to get into something than it is to get out of something. It's really easy to make a commitment. It's a lot harder to actually keep a commitment. On our wedding day, it was easy for me to tell my wife, Micah, that I will love and cherish you till death do us part. About six months in, I realized that this perfect woman was not so perfect after all, right? Her knight in shining armor wasn't so shiny after all. And, and so that's, that's where the challenges begin. You know this. This is, this is why I believe every single married couple or engaged couple in the room need to register for our marriage conference February 15th and 16th instead of wasting money on a dinner, chocolate, and lingerie she's never going to wear. Invest that money into your marriage and spend the weekend, Friday night, Saturday morning, right here with us. Our life is moving in a hundred million directions. We're moving this way, moving that way. This theme for this conference is Move Together. So we're going to talk about how to move together. We've got some, some great main session uh, speakers, and we've got a ton of great uh, specific breakouts for the weekend. So my father, Ron Stewart, is going to speak. Todd, my brother, is going to speak. Pastor John Aiken is going to speak as well. So in breakouts on the main stage, going to be an incredible weekend. That's my plug for that. Make sure you sign up. No matter where you're at today, though, in your marriage, at work, no matter what your, your, your hope is to accomplish, you're going to experience setbacks. I'm going to experience some kind of setbacks. And when setbacks, failures, not accomplishing goals happen in our life, it's easy to be discouraged. I mean, some of us are discouraged today, and, 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 and we've got to realize that one of the greatest enemies to your spiritual growth in 2019 is discouragement. It gets us all. Every single one of us will face it. It is deadly. It can get you off track. It can take you to dark places. And when you have this setback and you experience discouragement, you can begin to put your spiritual life on the shelf and just kind of go into autopilot and just kind of make it. Fake it till you make it and just go and just do and just try to you know, get, get tunnel vision and, and focused on just living and, and you totally lose sight of any spiritual goals or any spiritual insight that you once began to experience. So yes, discouragement is common. We all experience it. It is powerful. It doesn't just happen though once or, or, you know, once or twice in your life. As soon as you get, get through one setback, it seems like another setback begins to you know, come into your life. And so it's a, it's a constant battle in, in our life as we are pursuing Jesus that we're, we're gonna experience some failures and some missteps. So discouragement is always right in front of us. And so what are we gonna do? What are you gonna do when you feel discouraged and you feel like giving up? What are you gonna do? I remember about 10 years ago, I 
uh, entered a, my, my, it was the first time I had ever done this. It's called a sprint triathlon. So it's not like a huge triathlon, like Ironman deal. It's kind of like for normal people to do. And so uh, I'd spent a couple months prepping for that and exercising, getting ready on the bike and the pool, doing the whole deal. And uh, the race day came. And so I'm like 30 years old and I'm feeling really confident. I'm like, I, I, I might mess around and win this thing. I don't know. It could happen, you know. So I'm, I'm super arrogant and confident going into this race. And, you know, the whistle or the gun goes off. I dive in the pool and, uh, you know, I'm swimming. I'm a terrible swimmer, but luckily I'm 6'4", so I could touch in the water along the way. And so don't tell anybody. And then once I get out of the water, I jump on the bike, man, and here I go, right? I'm on the bike and I'm, I'm going forward. And about 150 yards into the race, I'm coming down a hill on the road, diving into a corner, and my front tire on my bike blows. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but if you don't wreck, that is a good thing. And I, luckily I didn't, but uh, I couldn't steer. I couldn't, I, uh, it was over. And so I remember there was a bike guy at the, at the start, starting line. So I, I get the bike and I go, you know, 150 yards back, go to him. Man, my tire's blown. Everybody's passing me, you know, and I'm, I'm getting nervous. I, I got this, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sweating. I'm nervous. And, you know, I'm, all these things are happening so fast. He's like, I can fix it. I can fix it. So he fixes it real fast. And I jump back on the bike and I'm like, okay, like a lot of people are gone, but at least I'm kind of still in the mix. There's people here. There's some older people here. So I'm with them now. And so that's okay. And so, um, so, so now I'm, I'm going and, and, and then about another hundred yards into the race, not the same exact place, but about 100 yards uh, further, a little shorter than the last place, the front tire blew again. And at this point, I was so discouraged. I was like, obviously, God does not want me to race today. I need to go home and spend time with my family and, and, and catch a nap. I don't know. And so I, I, I get the bike. I go back up to the starting gate. And I, I was just leaving at this point. But the bike guy saw me. And he was like, hey, did did, it, did your tire blow again? I was like, yeah. He's like, come here, I can fix it. There must be a piece of metal or something. And I was like, seriously, man, don't worry about it. I, I'm done. He's like, no, 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 you can't give up. Don't give up. You know, so he starts fixing. He had to file this thing down. He puts a you know, new tube in there. And he's like, all right, man, you're good to go. Now, now I say that really quickly, but you're, you're talking 15, 20 minutes. And so after 15, 20 minutes, like everybody has gone. So now I've got this decision to make. Do I hop on my bike in last place, all the older people, everybody's gone now. You know, am I gonna hop on this bike in last place and try to finish this thing? Well, I decided, you know what, I'm here, I'm just gonna finish. So I get on the bike and I go, and this time everything worked out. I got to the end, did the run, passed a few older people, so I felt better about myself and, and uh, finished the race. And so I finished the race, but man, I have never experienced so much discouragement and so much like anxiety and, 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 and so much tension in, in a decision. Because you know, immediately when you begin to face some setbacks in the race of life, you're immediately making decisions that are gonna impact, you know, year from now, five years from now, you know? You don't realize that the domino effect of the decisions that you're making today and how they're gonna impact you in the future, but, but when we are facing these setbacks, sometimes the race takes a lot longer than we expected. I mean, that took a lot longer than I thought, and for some of you, you're like, I thought I would have my financial life figured out by now, but it's like we're still in debt, I'm still not where I wanna be financially, and this race has taken a lot longer than I had imagined. Sometimes the race is a lot more complicated than you expected, and 
All the married people in the room are like, amen to that. And all the blended families are like, praise the Lord to that. Preach it, brother, right? A lot more complicated than you thought it was going to be. And sometimes, you know, that's life. Like we, we jump into something and then it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't realize it was going to be this difficult. What are you going to do when that happens? Sometimes in the middle of the race, setbacks start to make you doubt yourself. I don't know if I can do it. You know, I don't know if I can actually do this thing. I, I, I thought that, you know, I was going to do it. But now that I'm here, I'm experiencing this. Like, I don't know that I can push through this right now. And sometimes discourage it just makes you doubt yourself. And sometimes your, your, your opponents or the other people around you are so far out ahead of you like they were when I was racing. Like, it, it's, you just kind of feel alone. Man, this, this marriage, this family, this, this guy is so far out ahead of me. I just started this whole Christian thing. I just started this whole living a, a life for, for God thing. I feel like everybody is so far out in front of me that I feel like nobody cares or I'm all alone. What are you going to do? When that discouragement begins to rush into your life, when you feel like giving up, how do we handle this? How are you going to handle it? Because you're going to face something different than I'm going to face this year. But we can go to the book of James, and in chapter 1, we can be encouraged today. And so I want to give you seven statements that I think are going to encourage you and something that I think will help you in this year and in the years to come if you'll begin to think differently. Because discouragement is all about how you think. If you think you're not going to make it, then you won't make it. If you think you're not going to finish, then you're not going to finish. If you, if you think everybody else is ahead of you and, 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 and you can't you know, do anything on your own and, and so you're just going to give up, then, then you won't get there. And so we've got to change the way that we think. And obviously we change the way that we think by looking at the Word of God. And, and he's going to help us think differently today. Let's start in verse 2. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Great word to circle today. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Some translations say mature and complete, not lacking in anything or lacking in nothing. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to go through several more passages here, but Here's what he's telling us here at the beginning of this chapter. He's saying that God is going to bring trials, setbacks, potentially failures, and problems into your life, but he has a purpose. And this purpose can only be accomplished if you respond to it in the right way. And so this is huge. This is life transforming. You, may, you might say, whoa, pump the brakes here. Why is God going to send me a problem? Not cool. I thought he loved me. I don't want any suffering. I don't want any trials or setbacks. And of course, this is one of the biggest questions you know, man will ever ask God and, and, and wrestle with in God. He doesn't give us a complete answer here, but embedded in what he says is this conviction that the, the suffering of believers is always under the providential control of a God who loves us, a God who cares for us, and a God who has a plan for us. And so as he begins to unpack that here, he says, okay, you're going to face trials. You're going to face them. And so when you face them, here's how you respond. Here's how you think differently. Here's what you tell yourself. Here's what you believe because it's in the word of God. And so I encourage you to write these seven statements down. Go home, memorize them. Every time you go through a difficult season, you, you go right to these statements. You believe them. You pray for them. 
You, you, you let this be your mantra in 2019 because as I said, we're all gonna face discouragement this year. Here's the first thing he says. I need to experience true joy. I need to experience true joy. You need to remind yourself of that when you face a trial this year. You've got to remind yourself that you can't just experience fake happiness or, or you know, fake contentment. You and I need to experience ultimate and true joy. Now, James isn't suggesting that when you experience a trial that you're supposed to walk around you know, and, and, and fake a smile and, and, and fake and pretend like it doesn't hurt. We're, we're never commanded to, to fake our emotions. We're, we're never told to, to, to fake or, or never to be sad. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's talking about is this, this fake joy versus ultimate joy or true joy. Now, in the South, we struggle with this because we lie all the time. Think about it. Every time you ask somebody this morning how they were doing, what did they say? I'm doing fine. I mean, 90% of us are lying. We're not doing fine. We're, we're, we're doing okay, right? But a lot of you in the room are dealing with significant discouragement today. Some of you are facing significant setbacks, but what do we say? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. How's your marriage doing? Oh, my marriage is doing fantastic. Divorce papers on the dinner table, but we're hanging in there. What? Come on. We're never called to fake this. We're called to a life of authenticity. We're called to openness and being transparent. I'm not saying with all, you know, six, seven hundred of us in the room today. I, I'm talking with your small group, with two or three people. You've established a relationship there to where you can be vulnerable and honest with what's going on in your life. But when you're experiencing this trial, you've got to remember, I need to experience true joy. So here's the deal. If everything is great for you, then it's almost impossible to, to experience true joy. What has to happen in your life and in my life to experience true joy is I have to go through a trial. Here's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, the joy of Jesus wants to live within your heart. Jesus wants that joy to be full in your heart. But the only way to get that fullness of joy is to experience trials and setbacks. It's easy to think that we're joyful to be happy when we're at the beach on vacation. It's easy when, when there are no foreseeable problems in your life. Maybe you're just ignorant to the problems that are around you. But Jesus says this is one of the reasons why you're going to experience a trial this year is because you need to experience true joy. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I love what C.S. Lewis explained in his book, Surprised by Joy. He said this, you can search the world for joy and not find it. But when you're busy living your life in a right relationship with God and loving Jesus sacrificially, joy sneaks up behind you and surprises you. I love that. Your goal should not be, oh, I got to find joy. I got to find joy. I got to be happy. I'm, I got to be happy. I got to read all these positive books and be happy and be happy and be joyful. No, 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 no. The reality should be, I need to sacrificially pursue Jesus, serve Jesus, love Jesus, focus on Jesus. And in 2019, joy is going to sneak up behind some of you and be like, hey, here I am. Right here on the front door. 
and you're going to be like, oh, wow, that's what I'm saying. That's what I've been wanting right there. That's what it is. Oh, okay, I get it now. I was over here spinning my wheels trying to find all this. Ah, this is, that. This is the path. See, I got to remind myself every time I have discouragement in my life, which is often, I got to say, you know what? I need to experience true joy. I don't want fake joy. I don't want fake happiness. Here's the second thing we see here. We've got to admit this. We've got to believe this. We've got to tell ourselves this. We've got to tell ourselves, I need to be tested. I need to be tested. He says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So I need to be tested. If you're in a trial today, you need to believe that. I need this. I need this. I may not have chosen this one in particular. We probably would never say, yeah, I want this one. But we've got to recognize that we need it. Why would we need it? A couple of things. First of all, you need to understand what you're trusting in. You need to be tested so that you can understand what, in fact, you are actually trusting in. Here's a question for you, help you understand this. What's your go-to when you get discouraged? In other words, what do you run to when you are experiencing discouragement? A couple of drinks at the bar? A few glasses of wine? What do you run to? Prescription drugs? Go shopping at the mall? Run up the credit card a little bit? What is it that you run to when discouragement smacks you in the face? Maybe it's to be hyper-focused on your kids, and it looks, and everybody perceives like, you're such a great parent, but really you're so hyper-focused because you want to be distracted from the problem that you have with your husband or the problem that you have at work. Maybe you dive into work and just get hyper-focused on work so that you're not distracted by any of the other things that are actually happening in your life. What, what do you run to? You see, the way you respond to setbacks will always expose what you value most, what you love the most, what's important to you. And so if you are ruled by comfort and God takes your comfort away from you, you'll be unsatisfied with God and you'll blame him and you'll think your way is better if comfort is your God. If you're ruled by power, your God is power and control, then you'll be super disappointed when you realize that you're not in control of your life. You're not in control, essentially, of your, the decisions that your kids make, and you'll be totally wrecked. If your God is ruled by the affirmation of people, like that's what you run to every time you're discouraged. You gotta hear somebody encourage you, uh, you know, <clears throat> somebody online and social media or, or a friend, or if, if you're not getting it from somebody, then, then here's the reality. You'll feel like you're a nobody. You'll essentially be disappointed when you don't receive it. See, whatever you run to when you're facing a trial is going to reveal your functional Savior. Now, you might say, oh, Jesus is my Savior. But you're running to somebody or something that is not Jesus. And that's going to reveal to you who your functional Savior actually is. It's going to reveal to you who or what your idol is. And when you discover what that idol is, you smash it. You burn it. You destroy it. And you put Jesus in his rightful place. And see, you're never going to know some of these idols unless you are tested. Another reason why we need to be tested is because he wants us to become more like Jesus. Obviously, he wants us to be more like Jesus. So God is going to use trials to perfect your faith, to help you become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And the word that he uses there is a word that was referring to the process of refining gold and silver. 
And so when you melt gold and silver, you bring it to that high temperature, the impurities are going to begin to rise to the surface, and then you can, you can get rid of that so that you have pure gold, pure silver. And so he's saying, this is how I work. God says, I'm going to heat up your life. I'm going to add pressure. I'm going to add heat. You're going to go through some suffering so that those impurities in your faith can be refined and that you might be able to pursue the Lord and know him in a deeper way. So this is the testing of our faith. He's intending for you and I to understand and determine what person, what thing am I placing my faith in? Now, he's refining our faith. He's not saying, you know, you're, you're, you know, actually, you know, determining who has faith. No, he's saying this person already has faith and we're going to purify that faith. And, and, and thirdly, what's the result of this? It's the word steadfastness. The word steadfastness. Now, we don't like this. Paul Tripp calls it uncomfortable grace, but it's grace nonetheless. We like the, 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 the grace of God and blessing financially and salvation and heaven and all these wonderful things. But God also gives us a form of grace that is what we would call uncomfortable grace. It makes us uncomfortable. It challenges us. And as a result of that uncomfortable grace, it leads us to steadfastness. Now, the Greek word uh, steadfastness is the word hupomene. It's made up of two words. Hupo, the first word, means under, and meno means to stay. So essentially, this word here is, is giving us the idea that God adds pressure, he adds trials to our life, so that we would be able to stay up under that pressure, not to tuck tail and run or to fall apart or to be ruined, but he wants us to reach this idea that I want to remain under, to stay under this pressure and still glorify him, still pursue him, still seek for him. And what is the response or what is the result of staying up under this and being faithful during that trial? It is a refinement. It is strength. It is ultimate joy. So steadfastness then means you stay up under the pressure and you have a fixed direction. I am not losing focus. I'm not changing. I'm not chasing that rabbit. I'm not going down that rabbit trail. Boom, right here, God. I'm with you. I'm following you. Doesn't always make sense, but I'm following you. Here's your word. I'm doing what I know to do to follow your word. I want to remain steadfast. But what do we do? When we experience setbacks, discouragement creeps into our life. We want to run. We want to give up. You know, our interpretation of, of, of setbacks sometimes is, is, well, God must not want me to do it. Just like in my race, God must not want me to race today. So it makes me feel good to blame God so that I can go home and have a cinnamon roll and lay on the couch. God must not want us to be married. It's too stinking hard. I, I must have married the wrong person. Daggone it, God, it's your fault. I'm glad I finally realized it wasn't your will, so now I get a get-out-of-marriage-free card. And See how we blame God? Something happens great. Something happens, you know, perfectly. Oh, it must be God's will. Not necessarily. The enemy might have given you that job so that five years from now you'd be so focused on your job that you forget church. I don't know. You see, let's not jump too quick to blame God or to give God credit for situations in your life. We've got to handle it with wisdom. So he wants us to be steadfast in a fixed direction. Here's the third thing that we need. 
We got to tell ourselves this. You got to believe it. You got to go over this in your mind. Think differently. I need spiritual maturity. You're facing a discouraging moment in your life. You need to tell yourself, I need spiritual maturity. So God is obviously using this situation to bring me to a more mature and more complete faith. Gives me encouragement, gives me energy. Here's the bottom line. I just jump right to it. You see, God is going to take you where you haven't intended to go this year to make you someone you could not become on your own. I know you got a plan. I've got goals. I've got a direction. But at the end of the day, God is going to take me places that I didn't intend to go. And the reason why he's going to take me to those areas and do those things is because he wants me to become something that I can't become on my own. I can only become that person, that man that he wants me to be, that he sees and knows that I've got to be. And so he's got to take me through his perfect path to get there. I have no clue what that is. But as I go through it, I say I need spiritual maturity. And so this situation is obviously part of your plan, God. So what do we do? We got to understand this. We got to run to it. We got to recognize that I need to be tested. I need to experience true joy, and I need spiritual maturity. Now, the last four statements quickly are what God is doing for you. Here's what I need, I need, I need. Now, this is what God is doing. Let's look at verse five together. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's the fourth thing we've got we've to say. God is giving me wisdom. God is giving me wisdom. You've got to believe that. How do you know he's going to do that? Well, he says all we have to do is ask. We ask, and the qualifying statement is ask in faith, and God is going to give you wisdom. So you trust and you believe as you are praying, God, I believe that you are giving me wisdom right now. I am crushed under the pressure. I am crushed under this trial. But God, you are giving me wisdom. I'm praying. I'm asking. And your word tells me by faith it is is going to be a reality. Proverbs 2.6 says the Lord gives wisdom. Proverbs 8.35 tells us that finding wisdom means finding life and receiving favor from the Lord. Folks, I can't, I, I can't go through this message without mentioning this. This week, one of the most horrifying things happened in our country, and I'm sure you read about it, you saw it, but our country needs wisdom. And as the people of God, we need more wisdom. State of, yeah. Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York signed a bill into law that legalizes abortion up until birth, actually giving those who aren't medical physicians the opportunity to even perform abortions. And when the law was passed, and in that room, the cheers and the chants were, were, were I mean, you would have thought they won the Super Bowl sent a cold chill up my spine, and I can only imagine that's what hell is going to look like. People cheering and clapping for the things that they think that they want, but not recognizing the death that it brings. 
Folks, we need wisdom. And I pray as a country, I pray as a church, we would be light in the darkness. That we would continue to speak out for those who cannot speak. No matter how old, no matter if they're, they happen to be in the womb or out of the womb, no matter what color of skin they have, that we would value and see every single person, man, woman, all over the face of this earth as a child created in the image of God. And folks, we've got to champion that, and we've got to pray for that. And as followers of Christ, we have to pray for that wisdom. He, he continues here. He says, look, when you ask for wisdom, ask with the right motives. You've got to ask in faith. And, and we've got to be careful here. I know people struggle with this. They read verses like this and say, oh, man, well, I prayed for wisdom, but it says i got to have faith, so I don't know if I have faith. Trent, do I have faith? Maybe I had faith, but maybe it wasn't enough faith. Maybe I had this much, but I needed that much. How much faith do I need? Look, don't, don't fall into that trap. That, that's silliness. That's silliness. You, you, as a maturing believer, you see the words for what it says, and here's what it says. Pray in faith. And so that just simply means I believe God can do it. Do you believe God can do it? If you believe God can do it, then that's faith. And, and, and I need to pray for more faith and we need to pray for more faith because only, only God allows that faith to grow in our hearts. So we ask him for that as well. But by faith, I believe it. And so I pray for it. And then I expect to get it. And that's our mindset. And that's why we repeat this and think differently because the word of God teaches us to do so. God is giving you wisdom. Number five, God is giving me resources. You see, God is giving you resources today to do the very things that he's called you to do. You realize that? When I say resources, don't just think money, because it, is, it, it does include money, but it also includes your health. It also includes opportunities. It also includes your faith. Every resource that the Lord offers is at your disposal, and he is giving you everything that you need today. You've got to believe that. Here's how we know this. Look at the following verses. Verse 9, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So the lowly brother, the, 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 the low status, I don't make a lot of money. Maybe, maybe I'm not educated. This is the lowly brother. He says, boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of whose pursuits? His pursuits. Very interesting. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying the lowly person, low in status, low in income. He says, rejoice in the Lord despite your circumstances. Pursue him. Rejoice in him. No matter how bad things are financially, no matter how bad things might be with your health today, as a child of God, your hope is in Jesus. Your future is to reign in heaven with your king. He is blessing you and giving you today everything that you need. So keep struggling and keep managing the pressure and the trial and pursuing Jesus. Listen to this. Being low can be a gift that leads you to rely on Jesus. So your financial situation today might actually be God's grace in your life. Because he's teaching you and showing you that you must rely on Jesus. You must pursue Jesus and depend upon him. Your health might be going through a challenging phase right now. 
And the grace that God has given to you, if you change your perspective, might be God's given you that so that you would finally rely on him. On the flip side, those with money need to realize that you're not accepted or loved by God because of your status. What you have in this world means nothing to God. Like that doesn't impress him at all. Anything that we have is a result of what God has given to us. The only thing it means to him is that you better use it well. You better manage it well, bless others, and not just selfishly use it for your own family. So here's what the rich in the room need to realize, and the majority of us, I would say, are compared to the rest of the world. Here's what we've got to realize. Trials remind the rich that money can't solve all our problems. Money can't solve health problems, can it? Money can't ultimately solve your salvation. It has nothing to do with with how much money you have today. One day, it's all gonna be burned up. And that's why it says the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the grass, and it dies. Everything that we own is gonna, is gonna be gone one day. So the ultimate, the ultimate thing for you and I is that we would rely and trust on God in every situation. We gotta recognize God is giving me the resources that I need. And, and if, let me just plug our Financial Peace University starting in a couple of weeks. If you wanna finally learn how to use wealth if you finally want to use, learn how to use your money, this is the class that you need to register for. I think it's eight weeks long. It, it's not just get out of debt, which it is. It's, it's, it's how to get out of debt, but then it's also how to build wealth, how to manage the resources that God has given to you. I encourage you to sign up for that, you and your wife. You, if you're in college, man, get on the right track before you fall. Number six, God is giving me a reward. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see, God is giving me a reward. This word blessed is the here and now. The blessing is now. God will bless you inwardly. He will bless you with joy. He will bless you with confidence. He will bless you to overcome temptations through pain, through sorrow, the loss that you've experienced this year. You will know that God is looking out for you. God is caring for you, and God is with you during this trial. God is giving you a, a reward, and he's going to bless you for those that remain stead fast. And so we want to repeat that to ourselves. God's given me a reward. Despite what I'm facing, despite what it looks like, man, God is giving me a reward. This is a mindset. Ultimately, he says, I'm going to give you the crown of life, which absolutely refers to eternal life, or we're going to be with him forever in heaven. This is the crown that he wants to give us. Imagine that day when Jesus gives you the crown of life. That's the day we're living for. You see, discouragement is a feeling if you want to change your feelings, you've got to change the way you think about it. If you want to change the way that you think about it, you've got to turn to the Word of God. And when you turn to the Word of God and you think about it, when you are discouraged, you recognize that I need true joy. I've got to remember that. I need to be tested. I need this for my own health, for my own growth. I need this. Do you believe that? You've got to tell yourself, I need spiritual Maturity. I, I don't want to just be a baby Christian. I don't want to, uh, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. I put my faith in him, but I still act like a teenager. I still treat my wife poorly. I still handle my money like a five year old. Like, 
You've got to desire spiritual maturity. Emotional health and maturity comes from our spiritual maturity. And so we've got to pursue that. You've got to recognize that God's given you wisdom. You just got to ask. You just got to ask him. In this situation, he's given you wisdom. You've got to recognize that God has given me resources. He's, he's going to bless me with everything that I need to be able to deal with the situation I'm facing. And you've got to tell yourself and believe that God is giving you a reward. He's going to bless you for being able to stand up under that pressure and persevere and become steadfast. Finally, number seven, God is giving me everything good. Everything good. Look at verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. No, it is 17. Sorry. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, God doesn't change, and everything good in your life is a result of God. Everything good in your life is a result of God. If you're dealing with financial issues, God is not digging in the couch looking for change for you. Like he's like, oh man, I gotta find some money. Trent's in trouble, man, I don't know where to. Are you kidding me? He owns everything. He created the world. He gave you life and he can't handle your debt. Trent, you don't know how much I'm in. You, listen, we're talking about God. You don't know what I'm facing in my marriage, Trent. Like it is, it is like at the end of, listen, I've seen God change marriages left and right at this church. You see, God is a giver of good gifts, and all good gifts come from him. Here's the reality. You might not be looking at all the good gifts that you do have. You might just be looking at all the things that you don't have. It's really, really, really easy to become discouraged when you allow yourself to focus on all the things that you don't have. Maybe it's time for you to begin to recognize all the things that you do have and that God has blessed you with. You see, it's an attitude change. It's a mind shift. God is gonna take you where you haven't intended to go to make you someone you could not become on your own. And if you believe these statements, if you repeat these statements, you can start your day with these statements right from the word of God. Maybe James chapter one becomes your chapter of the year. And this is where you live all year believing in the truths taught right here in this short chapter of scripture. I recognize that in this room there are probably a lot of people facing discouragement. I've already kind of messed up some of your goals and it feels like for some of you you don't even set goals anymore because you're tired of failing at them. There's hope. There's hope found in the word of God. So today I want to close by praying for you. And then after we pray, we're going to, as a church body, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. And when we receive the Lord's Supper, the scripture tells us that it's time for us to reestablish and reconnect our relationship with Jesus, confess any sin to him. If this is maybe uh, your first time here, the way that we do it is we pass it all out. We pass the bread, we pass the juice, and we just tell you to take it on your own. The band is going to play music and sing a song and you spend this time praying. You spend this time remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And by doing that, you take the bread and the juice when you're ready. This is for those who have already given their life to Jesus, obviously. If you've got young kids in the room, great time to explain what it means to follow 
and trust Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe last week several hands were raised. Maybe you did, but you didn't tell anybody. We want to encourage you to let somebody know today. Before you leave today, we've got folks in the care and prayer room that want to meet with you, pray with you, talk with you. They'll help you make that decision. Let's bow our heads together. I wonder if by a show of hands, today's message kind of hit some of you right between the eyes. And you would say today, Trent, that uh, I'm experiencing discouragement in my life. And uh, I need some prayer today. I want to just pray over you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else other than just to lift up your hand. Anybody say, that's me today? Hands up all over. Raise it up high. Man, I am facing some discouragement, Trent. Hands all over. Hands all over. I pray today encouraged you. Gave you hope. Gave you direction. I'm going to pray for every single person that lifted their hand. Father, you saw every hand. Hands lifted high. Reaching out for you. For your grace, your truth, your love. We don't always understand and recognize, Lord, what it is that you are doing. But we can trust and believe that you have a plan and a purpose for us. And we can put a smile on our face today knowing that Jesus is our king. Knowing that Jesus will bless us. Knowing Jesus will give us wisdom as we pursue him the power of his spirit living within us helps us overcome, allows us to overcome. And so God, I pray that you would give joy, you would give power, you would give a new way of thinking, you would give encouragement to every single person in this room who raised their hand and said, man, Trent, I am going through it. Speak to their hearts now, Lord. And as we take the bread and the juice today, we know The bread represents your broken body. The juice represents the blood that was spilled out because sin is serious. And today, God, we want to restore and connect our walk with you yet again, confessing sin, drawing near to you, and remembering how much you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.